Hey everyone, Miguel here. Over the last couple months, I've noticed a, a new wave of a lot of new subscribers and, and listeners. And I want to thank you for, for joining and, and tuning in on a weekly basis and, and encourage you to please uh, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and, and please leave a review. It, it does make a difference and it means a lot. Uh, and, and now let's go on to the show. I don't believe that the largest financial institutions, for example, are going anywhere despite the competition that they see from uh, fintechs and you know traditionally just large tech companies who are moving more in the in the finance direction but in order to stay relevant they've got to innovate and focus on what is their uh, unique value proposition and what it's going to be in the long term Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is Peter Lord, CEO and co-founder of Codat, where they are building a universal API for small business data. Founded in 2017, Codat now has more than 200 corporate clients and has raised over $160 million from JP Morgan, Canopy Ventures, Shopify, Plaid, Tiger Global, PayPal, Index, Amex, and many more. In this episode, we discuss leaving his past employer to build Kodat and solve some of the technical challenges he was encountering at his old job. His ambitious vision for Kodat to become the go-to infrastructure for the small business economy to share data and how Peter plans to get there. International expansion versus industry vertical expansion. Since launching in 2017, Kodat has expanded to several countries and is now serving many industries. Find out which one is harder and why. The future of fraud fighting and why real-time data can help small businesses get access to credit especially during a challenging economy, and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Peter Lord from Kodat. All right. Well, Pete, welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast. I'm, I'm delighted to have you joining us all the way from London. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, Miguel. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, Pete, um, we're going to talk about Kodat. But before we go there, let's hear a bit about your background and, and how you got into this exciting world of fintech. Yeah, so I'm a technologist, um, but it's something that I stumbled into. So I grew up in uh, just outside London in the UK, uh, and then I went to university originally to, to study physics. Um, I switched to geography and then dropped out and, and went back the next year to study computer science. So. Um, I guess compared to other people on my course, I was unique in that I'd never written a, a line of code before, and I, I I've learned that since that kind of what what I really enjoy doing is is building, um, and it, for me, computer science and and coding was was a way to do that um, to build, uh, and I naturally I guess therefore uh, made the move over from computer science in, into product. 
Uh, and I did that uh, at one of my early employers, uh, a company uh, here in, in the London called Market Finance, who are a lender to small businesses. And it was through that experience that Kodak came to be. So as a, as a software engineer, I was building integrations between that platform and the financial software uh, used by uh, SMBs who are looking to use, use market finance to access working capital. And that those integrations uh, to systems like Xero and QuickBooks and Sage uh, were hugely beneficial. They're beneficial for the small business because they could um, share their data and uh, get a decision very quickly. Uh, and on the flip side, they were having a real-time, very detailed view of a small business's uh, finances you know, means that you can assess the, the risk of, of lending to that SMB very accurately and, and, and again, very quickly. So these integrations were, were hugely valuable. But it was then in my product role that I, I realized the, the challenge of connecting to the, the long tail of different software systems used by you know, current and potential uh, small business customers. And the, the, the problem there is that every integration is the same amount of, of engineering work to build initially and then to maintain. Uh, actually, as you work your way down the list of, uh, soft, you know, assuming you start with the most popular and work your way down, uh, it actually becomes more work um, because systems uh, have less kind of well-documented uh, APIs and there are, there are more intricacies. Uh, and so you've, you've got this, this challenge of you know, more and more work, but each integration uh, actually serves uh, on its own, serves for fewer and fewer customers. And therefore, the challenge of prioritization, which is you know, um, someone in product's kind of main role, to get these integrations as on a roadmap becomes um, incredibly difficult. And so I was looking for a solution like what we've built at, at Kodat and um, you know, couldn't find it in the market and decided to um, you know, start a business to, to solve that problem. I, it's, it's super interesting because there are so many stories of fintech companies that started this way. Uh, essentially, a team built something internally and then one way or another, they, they realized that this could be a, a company on its own. Um, how was that jump, you know, like leaving a, a company to actually go build from scratch? Uh, maybe tell us about the first month or so when, when you actually decided to take the, the leap. Yeah, so I guess that, that, that jump was, it was less of a contrast for me because I made it with two of my colleagues from, from the previous business. And so I was working with people who were familiar to me in technology that was familiar to us and, and a problem domain that, that we knew really well. But when I, to your question, kind of the first few months, something, um, you know, looking back on it, it's really interesting. You know, we, we, were, we were shipping code and functionality so, so fast um, in those first few months. It, we, would, we would build an integration in, in a day or a few days, and we were steaming through this, this, this roadmap that we'd set out. But the reason we were able to move so fast is because we had... We had no customers at the time. There were no users. There is, we we didn't know about the edge cases and, and the bugs that um, we were 
we were introducing. It was only you know a couple of months later when we started to get our first customers and and really test the solution uh, in production that we the, the naivety uh, of those early few months kind of really uh, came to surface. So you have publicly said before that um, you want to you you said that Coda has the potential to fundamentally change the way data is shared across the small business economy. This implies that, you know, th there has to be a transition from the way it's being done today, right? What are the biggest challenges uh, for this transition to occur? Yes. So if you generalize that the way um, this is done uh, historically and, and in many companies uh, still today is via a manual process. So that might look like um, the exchange of, of documents. Going back to my, um, kind of my my experience from small business lending, we used to use this term document tennis because you'd have account managers you know, sending PDFs back and forward with small business owners and on to other departments in order to try and better understand um, the, 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 the company um, that had made an application. And what we're doing is essentially replacing that with a digital process but also in doing so, creating a much better understanding of SMBs by leveraging much more data and really creating seamless experiences for SMBs themselves. And I like to contrast it to kind of the types of uh, experiences we, we see as consumers. So I can book a, a reservation on OpenTable for a restaurant that will just automatically appear in my in my calendar, I can, you know, when it comes around to the, the day, I can click on the, the calendar slot and open up Google Maps or Uber and you know, just navigate to, to the destination. I can then, you know, integrate with my contacts and I can send an update of when I'm going to arrive or split the bill with a friend. So it's that type of seamless interaction that we've come to expect as consumers that we are trying to create for small businesses. And um, Kodat and you know, the sort of technology that we're enabling means that the, the technical challenge of doing that is, is, is much, much less, uh, as, I've, as I've described. But therefore, the, the main challenge is really in adoption. So historically, you know, when we first started out, that we were having to do a lot of education with our clients. So our clients are the people building products and services for SMBs that integrations were something that they should prioritize. And I think you know, over the last five years, we've seen that become well understood. Integrations are, are table stakes. We often describe it as you know, a top nav feature because it's literally in the top nav of lots of uh, SMB products. But you know, the, the challenge that we, we're still kind of, uh, you know, some, some way on the journey uh, is making SMBs aware they can leverage their, their data to access better products and services that they should expect this type of experience that we've seen in our consumer lives for their, for their business. And I think some of the you know, progress that open banking has made and the apps that we use, you know, connecting my bank account to Robinhood via Plaid or something, it, it's those um, metaphors and, and, they, and that education that is starting to filter through now at scale to small businesses. Pete, speaking of adoption, 
let's let's talk about those initial clients um, and and the first ones that became uh, power users. I guess maybe describe that type of client and then how did you realize you had found uh, product market fit? Yeah, so I got the the train into the office today. I got off at King's Cross Station and I I got a coffee and the the coffee shop um, has this point of sale where you can actually, you know, you place your order yourself and then you, you wait in line for it to be collected. And I, I tap my card on a, uh, a Zettel uh, card terminal. Uh, Zettel is owned by PayPal and they're one of our early clients. PayPal has gone on to, um, you know, uh, to invest in Kodak. They're, they're on our, our cap table. And kind of when I placed my order, it was an iced Americano, uh, and I and I tap my card. That will have created a sales transaction and an associated payment in Zettel. Now, if that coffee shop uh, is using Kodat, they wouldn't actually know about it. We're white labeled and behind the scenes. But if they've gone into their uh, you know into their Zettel portal and and connected their their bookkeeping or ERP system, um, so their their QuickBooks or their Zero, their their Sage. Um, then that sales transaction tonight will get grouped together with you know, perhaps all the other cold drinks um, that that coffee shop has sold. Or if they've got multiple locations, you know, the, the sales from that um, particular store, it will be transformed by Kodat and it will be pushed into their bookkeeping software. And the value for them, therefore, is that they don't have to manually reconcile their systems. There isn't a, a small business owner or someone in the finance department you know, typing in, in numbers each day. Uh, and the, that the real-time nature of that synchronization means that all their systems are in sync and up to date. And they've got a very uh, strong understanding of how their business is performing and the financial health. Uh, and I guess it's, it's those types of everyday occurrences as a consumer where actually you interact with you know your own product that kind of you know, are, are really the ones that kind of are constant reminders of of the value that we're that we're creating and you know keep you know, nice reminders of our uh, mission which is to make life easier for SMBs so you are dealing with different businesses in multiple industries right but you've also expanded beyond the UK market you're you're serving other companies in other countries and, and one of the things you're having to do, probably the most important thing, you have to normalize all this data across industries and across countries, right? W- what is it more challenging to normalize it across a different industry or a different country, a new country? Yeah. So when it comes to standardization, there are different levels of um, standardization that um, you know, anyone has to perform if you're trying to uh, standardize SMB uh, in connectivity and, and data, but you know the, the the first is in in terms of the actual authentication and connectivity in of itself. So uh, we don't do any screen scraping. All our uh, connections are via uh, API, uh, or uh, actually, there's a lot of on-premise um, software still used by SMBs, which we still connect to, and we have to standardize the different flavors of OAuth or kind of username and password authentication or kind of the, uh, the, the ODBC data connection to some you know, piece of software that might be stored on SMB server or laptop somewhere. So that's um, just getting 
um, the ability to, to interact with the data uh, in of itself is, is kind of the first step. Then beyond that, um, you've actually got to standardize the functionality itself. So not all uh, accounting software have the same features. Right? An example is purchase orders. Purchase orders exist as a concept in some of the systems we connect to, but not others. You know, the ones that it don't, that's because they're targeting you know, a smaller, more micro SMB. And so we've got to create an abstraction, which means that our clients, when they're building to our API, they, they don't need to worry about which systems do or don't support this type of functionality. They can just connect to Kodat and we'll handle those types of complexities under the hood. And then you get to the, the data itself. And this is, I guess, where the, most of the heavy lifting comes. And um, I think it's useful to draw a comparison to other people forming aggregation in, in different sectors. And the one that I get most often is that, oh, Kodak, it's, it's like, like Plaid, but for SMB. Plaid are on our cap table and you know, uh, good partners uh, with Kodak. And there's lots of similarities between our, our businesses. But when it comes to the actual data standardization, that's, that's one example where you know, it's a different type of challenge that we're, we're taking on. So uh, Plaid is probably an order of magnitude more connections than, than Kodak. But our kind of data standardization is a much harder problem to solve. So if you think about the a bank statement, I've had half a dozen different bank accounts in my life. The bank statement has always looked very similar. It's, uh, it's a date, it's an amount, it's a transaction description and a balance. Um, when you look at the Kodak data model, which is in effect the data model of, of an SMB, there are hundreds of different fields. And every system that we connect to has a different uh, data, stores that data in a different way, exposes it in a different way with you know, different naming conventions. And, and so even as something as simple as the, the address on, a, on an invoice is a standardization challenge for us. And, and that's really where um, you know, we, we had a huge amount of value. And it's only having seen data on hundreds of thousands of small businesses that were able to uh, perform that type of standardization um, you know, very uh, confidently. And then I guess on top of all that, you've got things like geography. So I would say that, yes, geography is probably the hardest uh, part of the, of the challenge of connecting to all SMB systems you know, uh, around the world. Um, we're currently building an integration to Datev, which is a, a German kind of market leader in the bookkeeping space. And yeah, there are, there are challenges around uh, language, obviously. Um, there are challenges around the, the different uh, formats for you know, filing accounts in different regions and, and, and the different types of tax around the world. And then there's also uh, you know, different uh, behaviors when it comes to SMBs in terms of connecting and sharing data. And that's something that we need to be aware of so we can you know, work with our clients um, to increase the, the uptake of uh, the connectivity that they build. What, what markets are you currently operating in or, or about to launch? Yeah, so the original market was the UK uh, and Ireland, uh, and then we've expanded into uh, North America. So we've got a, a significant presence in in the US uh, and and Canada, and um, we've also got an office in Australia. And then you know elsewhere uh, around the world, we've probably got um, a, a couple of dozen clients uh, in in different countries. So with the for us, you know. The core markets I've just described is where we've got 
the best coverage in terms of in terms of software. Um, but they, oft, many of the packages we connect to are, are global by nature. So actually, there's a there's, there's a larger footprint um, just by nature of the the overlap uh, with the systems that we've connected to. And then, like I say, um, you know, we're expanding into the rest of of Europe, in particular, at the moment. And and maybe take us through that decision. How, how did you and your team decide where to go next and, and where to launch? I mean, I guess it's it's obvious the U.S. has the same language and it's a much bigger market. But uh, maybe there's something beyond that. And then also you're going to to new markets in Europe now. So curious to understand your framework when it comes to expanding markets yes and so there's a uh, i guess a couple of different dimensions to expansion and you know, different steps in terms of the the process and so for us uh, when it, the two main dimensions are where does our product have coverage and where are we directly targeting clients and because those are two separate things and um, so as an example uh, we have a number of clients in the US who have SMB customers globally. Uh, and so you know, part of our strategy is focusing our product expansion through clients that are headquartered in our core markets. So we might have a client uh, that's headquartered in the US or the UK, but their customers are in Europe or LATAM. And um, you know, we will, we're, we're building product coverage in those regions, but we're not selling you know, really actively on the ground. So that's, I guess that's kind of the, the high level. And then as we decide to enter a new market in terms of selling to clients, there are a number of uh, steps in our process to do that. So hopefully we've already got a strong product uh, market fit in terms of coverage because of the process I've just described. But then we, um, we we try and sell to clients remotely from one of our core regions, and then we reach a once we've reached a threshold in terms of the uh, either number of clients or the revenue that's that's being generated, um, and then then we we see the team, and so uh, we've got a really strong culture at Kodat and place it uh, you know very high in terms of importance, and so we send. Um, you know, a, a, I guess a mini founding team when we're opening a new office. Uh, you know, I went and lived in, in New York for 18 months as an example of our uh, of that in practice um, for our US expansion. And you know, we've since brought across, I think, a total of five uh, people from our London office uh, into the US. And then you know, it's expansion of the of the team from there. And you know, we've successfully done this twice now uh, in the US and, like I say, Australia. So you have a bird's eye view to quite a few markets uh, where where open banking, open finance is being developed. Maybe tell us about your vision of how you see the next wave of open finance evolving and also whether you've seen some frameworks uh, in, in these markets that you think are sort of nailing it or are approaching it the right way. So I guess the most obvious um, is from our position of you know have for a number of years now uh, straddling the the UK and the US and seeing um, the I guess different flavors of open banking 
um, come to fruition in those two markets. You know, the one very regulatory led top down kind of the competition markets authority mandating banks to provide this type of you know, a standard for access. And then you know, across the pond, a more commercial approach with um, companies like Plaid you know, building it uh, and then um, you know, backfilling that with API connectivity to FIs. And I think the re- result is actually quite uh, similar. It's, 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 it's a similar place. And so I think, you know, there's, I think the, the important thing is, is the outcome and that we've got there. Um, rather than the necessarily the journey and, and the process that's um, that we've taken beyond open accounting, we're, we're champions of sorry beyond open banking, we're champions of open accounting. Uh, you know, similar concept, but focusing on for small businesses what is um, the most uh, valuable data set in our opinion. The accounting software is like the operating system for an SMB, uh, and so being able to to leverage that data and that connectivity is of a huge advantages to to SMBs globally. And then beyond beyond that, kind of our, our next phase of, of product expansion mirrors the next evolution of, of open finance from a data perspective, which is which is open commerce. So we've been building you know, uh, dozens of integrations now to e-commerce platforms, point of sale systems, payments, and marketplaces um, to complement the the kind of the the accounting data with very detailed sales order inventory data for businesses that sell uh, in person or online it, it seems that a lot of this most of this wave is being driven through api uh, led companies right api integrations are the name of the game and, and there's several across the world that are popping up for different uses and different industries um do you think and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on on this but do you think that's also a recognition that legacy technology and incumbent large companies are not going anywhere and we better be able to to integrate them with you know uh, newer companies um do you find that fair Uh, it's an interesting question or, or observation Yes, I, I I don't believe that the largest financial institutions, for example, are going anywhere, despite the competition that they see from uh, fintechs and you know traditionally just large tech companies who are moving more in the in the finance direction. But in order to stay relevant, they've got to innovate and focus on what is there. A unique value proposition and what it's going to be in the long term. And connectivity to other services is integral to that so that they can uh, focus on what they do well, but also benefit from what, what others do better to stay, to stay relevant. And increasingly, API integration is a, a really important uh, component to distribution for FIs and the, the partnerships that uh, an API integration can uh, can offer. Now, Pete, we emailed a little bit before the interview, and and one of the items you you wanted to talk about is is kind of uh, an analysis of of the what we're going through today, which is a a world of higher interest rates. 
uh, where obviously that's driving a, a credit crunch environment, in particular for SMBs. They're the first ones to to suffer, right? So on this point, how I would love to hear your, your vision on, on how Codet will and probably already is uh, helping businesses with real-time data get uh, better access to lending and also for institutions helping them fight fraud. Yes. So as you correctly point out, you know, there are, there are 200 million SMBs uh, globally. They make up 99% of all companies. They uh, contribute more than 50% of the world's GDP. And you know, they're at the, uh, at the pointy end when it comes to feeling pressure from these kind of macro conditions. And this is something that um, Kodak's already seen uh, in, our, in our short history. Um, we managed to uh, have uh, impact during COVID helping uh, FIs to respond to what was you know, unprecedented times and be able to better understand their their customers you know, during during COVID, all of a sudden, financial institutions realised that relying on um, statutory financial accounts, which might be twelve months plus uh, out of date, just it doesn't give them the understanding of of what was happening to businesses uh, in you know the past weeks and months when there was such a a shift uh, so quickly in in the market and the and the patterns of uh, of spending uh, from consumers and SMBs. So really, at at its core, what we're um, able to to do is to be able to give lenders the confidence to make decisions um, on businesses that they would otherwise not be able to to underwrite uh, and to and to lend money to. So we do that by enabling the SMBs to leverage their own data. And this is you know, particularly important for young and growing businesses when there's, the market conditions are, are, are less, um, less preferable because those businesses don't have a, a track record. So it's all too easy for FIs to, to turn off the, the tap and to, um, uh, to, to slow down their, their lending to the businesses that need it the most. So by leveraging their data, uh, SMBs, you're able to provide that uh, real-time, very detailed view to give uh, confidence to do business with them. Now, Pete, let's talk a little bit about your fundraising journey. You recently had a very successful Series B round, but uh, I'm sure it was a journey uh, and it wasn't easy. It never is. So, so you know, we, we have, and for context, we have aspiring and current entrepreneurs tuning in. Um, so I'm sure they would love to hear uh, how you approached uh, raising money from from venture capital investors. Yeah, so um, I think there's probably two things um, that is important to to bear in mind. So if you look at our uh, Series C that we that we've just announced, um, our investors, uh, J.P. Morgan, Canopy Ventures, Shopify, and we announced Plaid. If you take a look at their mission statements, they strongly align with Kodat. And to me, that's the most important thing. And what that looks like in, in a conversation with a potential investor is, is they get it really quickly. They totally understand um, not just the business today, but actually the impact it can have 
uh, in the future and kind of the you know, what what foundation it is for what you what you could do in future years so that's i think the most most important thing and then the second is on the personal relationship so you are going to spend a lot of time operating alongside uh, the, the the individuals who you um, bring on in any kind of fundraising be it in a a, a board seat an observer or, or just on the cap table and therefore, it, it's really important that you're, you're aligned and, and you get on and, and, and you can work well together. And what I found you know, the, the best way of, of doing this, and actually in terms of selecting who would be you know, a good partner, is to start conversations very early on. So some of the people who, who joined in our Series C are people that I've known now for, for some number of years. Uh, we started out having a, an introductory call. I'm sure many um, founders have, have, have had similar experiences and then typically what's um my strategy is to if there's potential fit to to set up some some next steps that are really just a way to begin experimenting working with with one another i've done that a number of times it often looks like a an introduction to a portfolio company that we might be able to add value for um or you know um, accepting an offer to provide advice on some area of the business be it hiring or um international expansion and then what happens is those conversations either either fizzle out or in the case of the you know, investors that that we've just brought in um actually they they develop and and snowball and you become you start talking more and more frequently and so when it gets to the point where uh, actually you know a fundraise might make sense You've already got a relationship, and you know each other personally fairly well. And then it just comes down to you know, some of the the details for, for later stage. Um, you know, that's that's more and more of an emphasis on on the numbers and sharing those and the growth. But you've, you've got this solid foundation of a uh, of a personal relationship and an understanding of of how you might operate um, as kind of uh, you know a founder investor uh, relationship. Now, Pete, before I, I let you go, two last questions. Since you started building Codet, what have been the most surprising things you've learned? Yeah, so when we first started, obviously my background I've, I've mentioned was in SMB lending, and that was kind of our, our initial um, sector. And me and my co-founders, we, we knew that there were other applications beyond, beyond lending. Um, you know, we, we knew about insurance. Underwriting is is quite similar. Um, we we kind of knew that there was some you know more uh, push pull type synchronization use cases like that one I I described with um, Zettel as a point of sale, uh, but we completely underestimated really the the true uh, scale and, and potential. And the kind of I guess the, the most obvious is um, the many different types of vertical SaaS companies. That we now count as clients, we have companies that serve breweries, landlords, nurseries, and, and a recent one actually is cemeteries and, and graveyards, um, which is just not something that I would uh, have uh, have expected, you know, five years ago. So, that, so that's I think that's the most surprising thing. But actually, when you think about it, it's not really surprising. Every time a small business buys or sells anything, then there's a movement of money, um, and that creates a movement. 
you know, a need to move data between their systems to reconcile that. And that's kind of what Kodat is enabling and making frictionless. Similarly, every time they take out a financial product, there's a need to understand that small business. To understand them, that should be done leveraging data. And that, again, kind of that's what, what Kodat enables. You guys are definitely killing it. Um, no, no pun intended there. But, and, and since you started building Kodat, similarly, who have been the most helpful and, and consequential people in this, in this journey? Yeah, number one and two would be my, my two co-founders. Now, it's, it's not easy being a uh, co-founder and CEO, but it's made so much easier uh, having you know, people who fill in the gaps in your own skills and experience. So w- we work as equal co-founders and you know, I, I can't imagine building Kodats without them. So that, that would be the, you know, where my, my head immediately goes to. And then following that, the, the founding team. So I think it's very easy to undervalue kind of the, the early employees and their importance on the business. Um, we've recently just had one of our um, first couple of employees move on to, to the next challenge. And you know, it's an opportunity to kind of reflect on kind of the, the impact that they've had. And when you look at our, you know, the business we've, we've built and most importantly, the culture that we've created. Um, and for us, you know, that's, um, documented through, through our values. It, it has our, you know, those early employees fingerprints like all over it. And so making sure that you've got the best in class, but, you know, really high integrity early team members is super important. And, you know, I've been really lucky to have that in spades. Well, Pete, delighted you stopped by. Congrats on on the great success and progress on Kodat. And um, I'm going to be watching very closely because uh, I know there's uh, a lot more to come from you and the team. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Peter Lord, co-founder of Kodat. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very special thank you to the great editor, Rafael Ostria, for his amazing work behind the scenes. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Almasa. Thank you.